Welcome everybody to the Too High Podcast. I'm Seth Galino alongside Deontay Lee. As always, Deontay, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, uh, and whatever you celebrate. Um, hope you're doing well. Uh, hope San Diego is uh, still warm enough. I, I don't really, I'm not sure how you can consider um, whatever weather you have, 80 degrees sunny as Christmas weather, but whatever floats your boat. I would have you know that it's overcast today, so eat that. Um, but <laughs> okay. yeah, dude, uh, um, happy holidays, Merry Christmas to you guys, all the listeners, to you, Seth, yeah. um, all of our people at PFF. It's honestly been, it's been such a fast year that I really haven't had an opportunity to really think about, you know, my progression to get here, the changes with this podcast and all that. But, you know, for people who don't know, I owe my co-host a great deal of thanks for me being in this position. So thank you, dude, for real. It's entirely out of laziness. You understand that. Right? It's entirely me being like, I don't want to do this alone, dude. Like, I can't do this alone. I need help. And uh, yeah, I mean, you're the you're the you're the best co-host in the world. Um, it, it just seamless. You know, we 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 last year around this time, uh, maybe the end, early December, I guess it was, um, 2020. I had you on the the old podcast. Uh, you know, you weren't, you didn't work for PFF at the time. And just to talk about Ohio State, because at the time you were writing about Ohio State's defense and offense, I guess, just in general. And they were going into the playoffs or maybe they were going to the Big Ten Championship game at the time. And the 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 way we talked was so seamless. And then, I don't know, a couple of weeks later, um, you got hired part-time at the by PFF to do some writing. So I was like, dude, the second that happened, I was like, thank God, you're on every week. <laughs> and um, you didn't have to do it, um, but you came on pretty much every week with me to talk to whatever guests we had on, to um, to talk to me about whatever we wanted to talk about. And and obviously, um, things have turned out very well since we changed the name of the podcast. That's really the main thing. <laughs> the discussions were always good, uh, but changing right. the name of the podcast has done wonders. And we're, we're thankful for all the people that uh, listen and uh, enjoy uh, hearing us talk about football. 100%. 100%. All right. So let's talk about football then. First thing we want to talk about, we teased it a bit on mon- on the first, on the earlier episode this week, but we wanted to get into uh, probably the, the, the most fun thing uh, of last week, which was the Saints defense shutting down Tom Brady yeah. first time in whatever it was, 250 something uh, games where he shut out for the first time. And keeps at least it keeps one Drew Brees record intact, which is the <laughs> the shutout streak was at like 300 games for Brees and Brady won't get there now because uh, he's taken every other Drew Brees record. But uh, you wrote right. the article, go to PFF.com. And if I'm not mistaken, like I said on Monday, PFF.com, let me pull this up. PFF.com, you have the, uh, as you guys know, everything you want from PFF. If you get a subscription, you can get... Uh, the, the article content, which is from me and Deontay, mostly we have locked article content. So you get all of our stuff. You get the grades. You get the betting probabilities, the you know PFF green line, which is incredible, um, with all the player props you can get and, and all that stuff. Um, so right now, 50% per, off, 50% off uh, if you use the promo code ELITEUP. That's E-L-I-T-E-U-P, E-L-I-T-E-U-P, uh, 50% off. Um, uh, all the stuff that you get, um, like I said, me and Deontay's writing and so, so much more. The grades, the player prop tool and all the stuff like that. So your article is up there. 
on Dennis Allen and the Saints defense. Tell me what you found um, in these. Um, they played them five times now. They've dominated. They pretty much dominated them uh, at least four times. So yeah, what did you find? Um, basically, I mean, it's confirmation of what we've talked about the last few times that these teams have played. And I know that when you were on um, YouTube with uh, Vass, yes, last night talking about the game, like we're all kind of coming away with the same with the same thing. And it's quarters, right? It's playing these two high defenses, but it's a particular kind of quarters, right? Like I think that. That as we continue to move forward in this kind of metamorphosis that the NFL is going in, these are the conversations that we have to have, right, is what kind of families these coverages actually exist in and what that means in terms of how you're defending these offenses. So they play what I detailed as man match quarters, right, which is still in the cover four quarters family, but you're doing some different things in terms of technique, in terms of your progression, in terms of your rules and coverage to get brackets in the seam. That's the big thing. Your regular cover four deal, like the regular cover four that I think a lot of people are probably more familiar with, it is built in order to cover the seams better than like your true zone cover three, right? But the danger with that is that you're still creating one-on-ones in the seam, right? You're still putting safeties on receivers in the seam and you don't always want that. You may want two bodies, you know, and even if the guys aren't vertical, if they start exchanging on routes or you're running routes at different levels, you're going to want to play tight coverage on that. And there are certain ways that you can attack your regular zone cover four. So that to me was the biggest takeaway is that they're able to play super tight to routes. But if you want to do that, you know, the thing I really wanted to kind of hammer home early in the piece is you got to have guys that can live in one on one coverage. Right. Like so you just kind of see that inner that that interplay between having very talented players like a Marshawn Lattimore that you can go leave in one on one coverage outside. And now you can really constrict the space on the inside. It's having a guy like Malcolm Jenkins. So that way, if they're trying to ISO up, you know, a Rob Gronkowski, he can go line up on Rob as the X receiver and deal with him as a good like man to man cover one corner. Basically, um, that was also really impressive. And you just see like you see all these concepts and we talk about it all the time, right? These concepts that are super sound from an offense like, OK, you got these different levels. You see the quarterback working through the progression and you get to the end of the play. And I'm like, I don't think anybody was open. And you rewind it and you look at it again. You're like, oh, wow, nobody was open. Next play. Same thing. Next play. Same thing. Um, and then you get to see how that layers into the rest of the game, right? Now you're seeing all of these stunts up front, and now Tom Brady is sitting patting the ball, patting the ball, waiting for something to break open, and now you're getting this late pressure from an Onyemata, you know, from a Cam Jordan. Um, those types of things are are what what has allowed Dennis Allen to be able to rush for, play this really tight coverage, snap after snap, and be able to affect Tom Brady once when the ball is thrown and while he's standing in the pocket. I think, you know, one of the things you talk about the way they're able to bracket the slot. And it's super important because their best player plays in the slot. Yeah. And I don't think, I, you know, so and, and this we'll have a discussion of what we think the, the Bucks offense will look like without Chris Godwin. But when Chris Godwin's on the field, he's probably the key to that offense. And I don't think that that necessarily means that he is better or worse than Mike Evans. I don't think we right. need to have that conversation. I just think it unlocks, especially with a player like Brady, I think it unlocks more what they want to do on offense when he's in the slot. So you ha- you don't have a choice but to bracket him. And if you don't bracket him, you're, you're cooked for the most part. Like, he's too good, right? right? So yeah. I think when, when you talk about the distinction between kind of like the spot drop cover four 
that we think about um, that was played in the NFL for such a long time. And now some of these third down quarter stuff, like this bracket defenses, um, the Saints played what a lot of people call stubby um, or lock uh, or, stu- mm-hmm. or, you know, or bracket. To, to, honestly, bracket, at the end of the day, it's bracket. Right. Um, right. To the trips receivers, to Godwin when he was in the in in the slot. So when you talk about that 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 older, not I should call it older. When you talk about that that classic quarter right. spot drop, to me that puts a lot of pressure on the nickel. If he's going to be inside leverage on one of the slots, then he's going to be the one that the offenses are going to attack. Because he has a lot of room that he has to deal with yeah. to the sideline from inside the slot receiver all the way out to the sideline. So he's the guy that you're going to put in conflict. You can flip that by playing bracket. Bracket is not perfect. No defense is, right? So that means you put a lot of stress on now the inside player, which in this case with the Mike and Demario Davis. Well, if you have players who can play football, you can get away right. not get away with this stuff, but you know what I mean? Like you can you can put you make it work. Davis there and he can and he can he can collect Chris Godwin on the in-breaking route mm-hmm. and and match him and make plays. And I think something that I talked about and me and Vass talked about this when we broke down the game. You go to Coach Vass's YouTube page and listen to me and him break down the the, the basically the whole game, at least the first half of the Bucks Saints game was it, everything you do, starting from kind of top to bottom, has an effect on the next player. So yeah. when, when, we, when we talk about, okay, the Saints were able to kind of bracket um, Godwin in the slot and, and this type of stuff. What was happening is they're playing with two safeties, like you said. One of the safeties is Malcolm Jenkins often, who was on top of the the Godwin, okay? Right. On the opposite side, when there was just a single receiver, whether it was Gronk or Mike Evans, you had Marcus Williams playing to the half on that side. And, and again, this is how defenses is all connected. The Saints felt comfortable if it was Marshawn Lattimore on Evans outside wide to the single mm-hmm. receiver side or Paulson and Debo matched up, of all people, against Rob Gronkowski, they felt comfortable in that matchup, which meant Marcus Williams can now say, okay, if Brady doesn't look that way to the single receiver side right away, I can start working all the way back. And even though we're in a quarters defense, I could almost play like a single high post defender, get to the middle of the field deep. That's the first thing. That connects to the safety playing on top of the trips. So Malcolm Jenkins is playing on top of the trips as a quarter safety and says, hey, you know what? If Brady looks my way, I know I have Marcus Williams behind me. So I don't need to, I don't need to like set hut and, and drop back 20 yards in half the field. I could stay there. I'm at 12 yards. I'm good. And I can play any route that comes at me and breaks at a 90 degree angle. I'm good. I can just sit on it and I can drive on it. Right. Which is connected to Demario Davis, who says, okay, wait a minute. The guy behind me, the safety, is saying he's flat-footed. He's not getting any depth. That means, why do I have to get depth? Because if I get depth, we're just gonna we're just gonna stand next to each other. So he can come off of routes and look at stay at five yards and look for that crossing route, that little shallow that's coming back, that fin route that's coming back from Godwin or whoever, 
and I don't have to get depth. I can just sit there and make the plays. And so like that whole, it's all connected that way. And yep. it starts with, and something you talked about in the article, it starts with, hey, to a certain degree, we feel like we have a guy or a couple guys that can match up with some of your best players on the outside. And then we can work inside and bracket Chris Godwin. All right, that's the right. podcast. We're good. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, I mean, I think that was the main thing. Was there anything else you saw besides the stubby bracket coverage that, that, that you were No, doing? I mean, everything else outside of that, I mean, it's pretty clear. I mean, you play court, they play their bracket quarters, and if they're not in bracket quarters, you're in cover one. And the reason why, again, and this is, again, where you start talking about how you layer things on top of one another, it becomes very very feasible, very tenable to do that because it's going to look the same basically up until the point of the snap, right? Like we talk all the time about the pre-snap processing that quarterbacks have to do, right? And looking at guys as leverage, how deep is this guy? Where is the safety? Where is the slot at? Is this is this safety standing over the top of the sandbacker? Is that a, a pressure key for me, et cetera, et cetera? Well, if you're playing bracket quarters and your nickel is already outside of the slot receiver, that's the exact same leverage he plays in cover three and cover one. So it's going, his footwork is going to look the same as it does in cover one. So because of that, you're not going to get the same kind of tells all the time in terms of, you know, where is the guy at? Who's doing what? Same as like a Malcolm Jenkins, right? If he's going to be rolling down over tight ends or if he's bracket, usually on the same side that they're trying to get a bracket on and then he rolls down late, you're not mm -hmm. going to get that key until he moves, right? His alignment alone isn't going to give that away. And then the rest of it is just like, different presentations of it, getting into those bear looks, those ups looks where you got all the linebackers and a safety walked up near the line of scrimmage, right? And being able to show these different looks and get these twists and stunts done while you're still playing these two high coverages. There are a lot of really good clips of them playing two man out of these types of looks, being able to get guys from the line of scrimmage out and underneath wide receivers. Um, and it's just been so disruptive for them. You know, the one thing that Brady Brady as a man throwing against man coverage likes to take those vertical shots. He likes to become a downfield quarterback. But to your point, if you can play great defense in between the hashes or in between the numbers and you're forcing even a great quarterback like Tom Brady to have to beat you with those high variance balls outside on the posts, the deep comebacks, the go routes, that's probably the best you can hope for as a defense. And they're just able to squeeze all that space away. And that's why they've been as successful as they have. And, and this is a defense that Dennis Allen plays. Like he plays stubby. It, right. it is what it is. Um, so the, and and it just worked out really well in in their favor. Another thing they did that I thought was really interesting was how they treated Leonard Fournette, because you know something that we've know that both of us have kind of noticed the past month. Um, well, honestly, he, Leonard Fournette leads the NFL in or as, as of like two weeks ago or something. I'll look it up. But Leonard Fournette, I believe, at some point led the NFL in catches from from out of the backfield or from all running backs, something like that. Now, generally, he's not great <laughs> at when the ball when he either a catching the ball or b um, <laughs> b you know with the ball in his hands. However, right. I think the past month has shown that if teams want to play off and not treat the back as a as a real player uh, as a real threat then Fernand it's been pretty good like these he's made some plays with the ball in his hands so the Saints said that and said hey we're going to do some things to kind of um force the ball so i, I don't know they they it's uh, they kind of like did some stuff where they kind of exchanged who had Fournette, especially when they were in man coverage 
um, to that side of the field or they were in man coverage throughout the whole field um, to kind of get a body on him as quickly as possible. And, you know, you know Brady is going to check the ball down pretty quickly when he feels something is not right. But if you have a body on him, a body that you didn't expect to be on him, mm-hmm. that can go a long way because what they were able to do was, yeah, he caught the football a few times. They made a tackle almost every time, you know, but before he got ahead of steam. So I thought that right. was a pretty big, pretty big point of emphasis for them in this game plan. Uh, all right, let's get on to uh, the other thing that a lot of people are talking about, which is the Philadelphia Eagles offense and their win against Washington and their continued wins this season. I believe they're 7-7 now. Jalen Hurts, is he, like, like just give me what you think about Hurts this year and going forward and what the offense should look like and, and what it doesn't look like and what, all that stuff. Um. I mean, A, it's functional. Well, it's better than functional, right? Mm. It's it's good. What they're doing on offense is good. It's working. So let me not let me not downplay it or, or, or minimize what they've been able to do offensively. Um, I wrote about it maybe three or so weeks ago, maybe a month ago, when they had that kind of three and one stretch over a month's time worth over a month's worth of football. And the biggest thing then was like, okay, they're doing the spread to run stuff. Right. Like and that was a nice wrinkle for them to be able to get back into running the ball, which is something that they absolutely needed to do, because I think Sirianni's initial approach of all the quick game and progression based passes and all of that Hertz was really struggling with. And that part I don't think is fixed. I think it's improving, but it's not fixed. Still late. I still don't like the ball placement. He's still really not comfortable throwing the ball over the middle of the field. A lot of his vertical throws are really like scramble adjustments or like deep outbreaking routes, basically, like your cover, cover three beaters types of deals. Um, so that is still an issue um, and still, you know, a reason to be, you know, a little bit cautious in your optimism. But in terms of having a guy that you can build an identity around, they have a functional identity now with being able to use their quarterback as a threat in the run game and they've been able to build RPOs off of it. They're able to build these bootlegs and play action passes off of it. And that's where a lot of the improvement has come from um, in their offense. And at the end of the day, I think that one thing that's easy to forget when an offense is maybe not running up the scoreboard, they have one of the better offensive lines, one of the better best run blocking offensive lines in the NFL. And Philadelphia has had that for years on end now, really dating back to, you know, the middle of the Peterson era. They've always had these big bodies, you know, these really good athletes. You know, you see a guy like um, Jason Kelsey running 20, 25 yards down the field, you know, matching a running back stride for stride. It kind of speaks to what they have up front. And because you have that quarterback that can reequate the numbers in the box, you can find a lot of success in the run game. And that's what I think a lot of this has been based off of. For you as an offensive dude, is there anything that I'm maybe not seeing that's been contributing to their success? No, I mean, I think like the offensive line is probably number one because even when it's not like, you know, we always talk about how we always talk about. I don't think we ever talked about this before, actually, but uh, just the general talk is like, hey, you don't have a great offensive line, but you have a player like Hertz who can run around. Well, you, you can run option stuff because you're not you're putting less stress on the offensive line. You're giving them better angles because you're leaving some certain players unblocked for the quarterback. And. That's great, and they do that stuff and are really good at it. But right. they can also go under center or on outside zone and yep. fucking fire off the ball. And stop. <laughs> they put Washington's defensive line on skates the whole game, especially on outside zone. So, like, 
the, the, that's to me is the main thing. And the pass pro has been unbelievable. Yes, that's been a huge thing. He's had some of the best pockets in the NFL this year. So could they go and and win a, get into the playoffs? Yes. Even win a playoff game? Yes. You know, getting a little further, you know, having to do it on the road, um, that that'll be that more I difficult. Don't see. Yeah, I don't. I, um, I can't see that. This year. But you know, if the defense has a couple, has just a good run of form, the offense keeps doing what it's doing, and and and, and the offensive line keeps doing what it's doing. You know, you never know. But um, to me, the the question is then it, then it becomes like, well, what do you do next season? And, and I, I to me, it's it's pretty obvious because you have all these first round picks now. We we thought at one point these were all gonna they were gonna have three first round picks all in the top ten. That's not right. gonna happen. Uh, I assume it'll be between at this point I don't know twelve and twenty five. No, twelve and twenty two, maybe something like that. Still, still good, and you can maybe package some stuff and do some stuff. But I think if you went out and fi- found a, an X receiver and maybe kind of replenished a bit on the offensive line um, in some positions where you're either getting old or you might not be able to resign some people. And then, um, you know, whoever else, maybe a defensive player. that could they certainly need defensive players as well. Then, then you can probably run it back with Hurts. Now, the biggest problem for me is, like, this stuff tends to, like, I don't know how sustainable an offense like this is. Now, Hertz is the, Hertz is to a certain degree is one of the driving forces between, behind what they can do. But I do think, like, it's more the offensive line that is, that is taking them places. Uh, and then the scheme to a certain degree, but the scheme is, is definitely baked into what Hertz can do. So I just wonder if that, if you can just be like, Hey, we're just going to do this again. We'll get a better X. Well, you know, stay, get a bit younger on the offensive line and just everything will be the same. And it's like, man, every time we say that stuff, it's never the same. It's never the same. And I was just about to say, I'm about to make the classic mistake that yeah. everybody makes in these scenarios, which is say, oh, we'll just go load up the roster. And even yeah. if he's not the dude, you got to load it up roster. You'll go find a quarterback. Everything will be great. You know, like you try to do, I guess you try to replicate what the Colts have, right? Where you build out a nice, young, athletic roster, versatile roster, and then you hope that you get functional or good quarterback play and you live in that world and not to say that it's not a possibility but i mean that's just a tough it's a tough needle to thread it's a really tough needle to thread um the one thing i will say that probably is in their favor the most is the fact that they have some key pieces figured out right like having an offensive line that's good right now even as it's aging is going to be helpful for them because they're eventually going to have to start phasing some guys out right but having pieces that are there to kind of help you transition from one unit to the next will be a big deal. Um, they have a they have a lockdown corner that I think has been playing better as they have a better understanding of how to use him. Um, they do need to shore up what they're going to do with the defensive line. Yeah. All their best players have gotten old at that position. Their younger players have not been the best contributors outside of sweat. So I do think that there are some things that they have to shore up there. Um, but you do have some things to be excited about. And obviously, Devontae Smith looks like oh, exactly who everybody said he was going to be. So that helps as well. I think that for them, you probably should take it the that Colts, that Ravens types of, type of approach where it's like, hey, we're going to get all the height, weight, speed guys in the world, you know, and we'll try to be as athletic as possible, refine it as much as possible. And then when you find the quarterback, everything's rolling. So. That, that has to be the hope because, like you said, there's a pretty clear ceiling on what this will be. I think that the floor is nice. It, it's nice to know that even in a year when people were expecting them to kind of bottom out, 
that you have enough with Hurts in this offense to be a competitive-ish team, you know, be a, a wild card threat. But yeah, I, I think that this is still we are still very clearly in the early building phases. If you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, okay. Do I have, did I have this wrong? What what position does Devonta Smith play? Is he the X? I see I've seen him work a lot outside. Yeah, and I know he did that I've at Alabama. I just assumed that that he was more of a slot guy. But no, honestly, looking at the numbers, 727 snaps at wide, only 72 in the slot. So he's the X. Yeah. All right, so let's roll it back. Uh, well, let's take it from the top, guys. Let's cut out my <laughs> when I said uh, they need an X. So I think the Eagles need to get a slot receiver, a dynamic slot receiver <laughs> like Justin Jefferson. No, but honestly, just they need another receiver. And I That's think, really it. I think Smith can play anywhere, honestly. like I know he clearly doesn't play in the slot a lot, but he seems like a, a – Body type that can I mean, he's per- I mean, he's literally perfectly made for it. Yeah, but that's that. That's what makes him so good is that he is an outside receiver with that type of body and can win on all sorts of routes. Um, right. Yeah, I, I I I do think this is. What is? Do you think receiver is where they should go? Like they. Oof. Do you think Jalen I mean, Rager is going to evolve next year? No, to something. Okay, if you're asking me. If you're asking me that question, I guess I would have to approach that as two separate questions. Do I think that Jalen Rager has another step? My answer is no. Um, and it's nothing against his skill set. It's more just like he's just never been that dude. He's been a straight line speed guy, but has never really been a number one or threatened to be a number one guy at TCU and certainly couldn't do it before they had Devontae Smith in last year's um, iteration of the Eagles. So, no, I do think he's a piece you should have. He can be a nice take the top off guy, right? Like, But I don't think that. I don't think that there's much else that they can squeeze out of him. I will say that not having not having JJ Arcega Whiteside turn into who I think they would like would have liked for him <laughs> that, to be. Well, this really is why hurts. I brought up the X thing, because I think about JJ and I'm like, that's who they like they need that you would player like, to yes, pan out. Exactly. Exactly. You would like to have that enormous guy, a tight end size guy that has wide receiver skills be that guy but he's not that either i will say having dallas goddard be who they hoped he would be after moving on from zach Ertz, that's another big piece for them so you have two you have three of the five skill position guys that you really really need right you got a good tight end i really like miles sanders and obviously you have a guy who looks like a number one wide receiver in Devontae smith so i don't know with that in mind i don't know how much draft capital you'd want to spend on the rest maybe you can find these veteran guys you know, unless there's some knockout, you know, another knockout wide receiver that can win outside that allows you to say, hey, now we're going to use Devontae Smith as our high touches, high volume receiver and use everybody else as the vertical guys. I love that idea as well. Um, I would have to look and see, you know, how the wide receiver, how the wide receiver rankings in the draft kind of tie up with where they're going to be picking, you know, because we still got to sort out who's going to be where after all these trades that they've made. Um but I do think that there is definitely some growth opportunity there. I would definitely say if you're going to draft on offense, I would draft at wide receiver right now um, early and probably not at offensive line because I still think that they have another year or two that can get out of that group. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously if you can go get Drake London, you're – I mean, yeah, dude, you're, that's cash money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you're good. Like there's no, no problem yeah. with that. Um, 100%. All right, uh, let's move on. To next topic, uh, we want to talk about Justin Fields, who had a big game against the Vikings uh, on Monday night. Um, mm-hmm. and, well, okay, big game. I thought he was really good. I mean, the, the scoreline didn't yes, suggest that. I yeah. just thought he was really good. 
and he's coming around. Um, I just looking at his PFF grade um, over the past, I think, six weeks, and he's like in the top ten when you remove mm -hmm. like RPOs and screens. So it's coming around. Uh, are you are are you still like okay? Yes, I, 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 it's coming around, and they absolutely made the right decision. And honestly, this might be the best value pick in the draft when we look back. That's that right there. That is the argument that I'm kind of hanging my hat on. A, yes, it is true. He has made a lot of progression as a quarterback. I think that he is finding his rhythm um, and really understanding how to use his skill set to manipulate guys in the NFL. So that's been the most encouraging thing. Um, I, I think we talked about this even when he was at Ohio State, right? It's like for such a talented quarterback, it almost seemed like he still wasn't using all of his strengths to the maximum of their ability. And there's still some growth potential there. But you are seeing him get closer to it. Um, the decision making is getting better. I do think that he's starting to work a little bit quicker through some of his progressions, which is something that he needed to work on as well. And to your point, to be able to get a quarterback with this kind of upside where Chicago got them after the quarterbacks that were picked ahead of him, I think that you should be feeling really, really good about where he's at and where he tracks to be um, as they continue to build this roster out. They're almost in a, an inverted position of where Philadelphia is, right? Where Philly has a lot of pieces around, hurts. So now they know how to build the rest of it out. They're kind of in an opposite situation where I still think they got a lot of building around fields to do. But you know that you got something in fields. Um, and I think that, you know, as his accuracy has improved throughout the year, you're going to see more and more reason why they should be able to build the rest of this offense out around him. I, they just got to get Nagy out of the building, man. That's really my biggest takeaway. You got to get Nagy out of the building. Yeah, I mean, I've said this the whole time, but Fields' accuracy will take him far. It's really, yeah. really good. It's really pinpoint. Um, and to me, that that's always just going to – you can always hang your head on that. And you can make bad decisions and get away with it with good accuracies. You know, and he throws the ball really Especially hard. Especially with the arm talent yeah. that he has. Like he'll, he'll, He can get away with a lot of stuff. And he's not really like – you know, he's not really putting the ball in harm's way too much. I think there's some there's some bad plays there here and there, but it's been gotten so much better. And then, yeah, the speed that which he can just accelerate from you you don't feel it. And we said this before. And one of the issues I think one of the issues has always been when you compared him to a Zach Wilson or a uh, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, or even a uh, uh, Trey Lance, who we've all, anyone outside of San Francisco has completely forgotten about yeah. it exists. I was about to say, dude, he's <laughs> on a milk carton right now, man. I have no idea where that guy is. Well, Jimmy G is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. I, you heard that, right? So, um, basically, uh, uh, there, there's like a, I always say this, there's like a deliberateness to the way that Justin Fields plays. There's not that snappiness that you get from a Lawrence right. in his throwing mechanics or a or a Wilson in his throwing mechanics, and I think that skews right. your percep your visual perception of the kid. Yes, there is an aesthetic gap, I think, in how he plays quarterback versus how I think that we have now trained ourselves to contextualize quarterback. It's not Aaron Rodgers. Yes, it's not Aaron Rodgers. It's not Tom Brady. It's not Drew Brees. It's sorry, and, it, and I don't know what else to say, guys. Like there's more than one way to play quarterback, uh, and it's it's not even Lamar Jackson. Right in in that, right. in that in that in that quick twitchiness, I guess you would call it. Like I said, the snappiness. But then he he'll roll out, and there was a play against the Vikings where I think they booted him, and then nothing was open down the field, and then he just he made one guy miss, and then he just 
took off and it's like oh yeah he is really fast like he like yeah it, that is legit four what four literal yeah. deceptive speed is yes. is what he it has is very legit four four so mm-hmm. I, I, i'm excited for him and, and now we're just waiting for you know if we take trey lance off the board um you know our, let's just talk about it quickly because uh, we have some time here like talk about fields um we don't really talk about Mac Jones because he's done uh, this is probably too much talk about Mac Jones. But then like uh, with Lawrence and Wilson and Fields, they're in this group where it's like, hey, it hasn't looked great at times. But do you see more like who do you see as like going forward? You've seen the most in terms of, hey, the way I think of process, the way I think process mm-hmm. should look like it is there with this guy. Even if the results aren't there. Okay, so I'll let me rank it in two different ways. I'll rank it in terms of performance this year, and then I'll rank them in terms of upside. And this is probably going to shock people, and I might be wrong. You know, I'm open to hearing which how you feel, but I think that if you rank them in terms of how they've performed over the course of the year, I will put Trevor first. I think you know, especially when you contextualize everything else that's happening there. I'll put Trevor first. I will put Field second, and I will put Zach third. And then if you tell me in terms of upside, I might right now, I might say Fields is first, Trevor is second, and then Wilson is third. Um, And maybe, you know, and this might be biased by like some trajectory things or like the highest highs because Fields, I think, has had some highs in terms of this season that have looked better than any of the other rookies so far this year. Um, And maybe his middle, you know, that kind of middle of the road performances has been lower than a Lawrence. Um, but I do think when you look at like his best moments, you get a very clear visualization of what that might look like within the right framework. Same with same with Lawrence as well, right? Like you're talking about two guys that are really good athletes that have great ball placement. Um, I think that you know, feel if Fields had Lawrence's timing, and I think if Lawrence had you know Fields' ability to work the ball down the field um, vertically, you would be talking about an ideal quarterback. So there are still some gaps in their games, but. Fields is right there, and I would say that in in both rankings, he is much closer to Lawrence than he is to Wilson. So they are still one and one A to me. How do you have them kind of ranked, or how do you look at that that three that trio yeah. of rookie quarterbacks? Um, I I definitely think it's one A one B with them, and I and like you, I would be tempted, very tempted, to put Fields projecting Fields forward above Lawrence, and that's honestly honestly for me only because. Lawrence continues to throw the ball to to defenders. Yes. I you know, if the second he stops doing that, he's the best quarterback of all time. <laughs> Cuz ev- the traits are so unbelievable with Yeah, Lawrence. they're ridiculous. They're ridiculous. But he but he's not, you know, he's not the, the, a pinpoint accuracy guy. He's accurate, not a pinpoint accuracy guy. It means he, he he can't he can't keep throwing to, to linebackers and stuff like that. And you can you can explain away a whole bunch of interceptions and stuff like that and turnover really plays. Right. But I do think that is the. Main I mean, it thing. is what it is on a certain level. There is kind of an it is what it is. And if if we're going to be fair to him, he has in t- way way more dropbacks this year yeah, than the other two quarterbacks. Like they have they have relied on Lawrence in a way that's honestly ridiculous considering the fact that he's a rookie. Um, so there is a bit of that in there as well. But yeah. I mean, and, and even he, if you were to explain away the drops, the sacks, all the pressure, there are still just some horrible, yeah. horrible ball placement issues that he's had so far this year that I think if he cleans up, he's right. Like you said, he's right back to being, you know, the the perfect quarterback prospect 
But that stuff does have to get cleaned up first. But and and that's why I'm like I'm I'm flirting with Fields, you know, projecting Fields as the better quarterback going forward, just because he hasn't done that as much. Like these mm-hmm. boneheaded type of decisions, you don't see it as much. And obviously, the accuracy is really good, and everything else is really good. Right. And then Wilson, I mean, we don't have time. Like. I, I didn't see it with Wilson coming into this draft class, Same. and I certainly don't see it with him. Still don't see it now. Yeah, it's not. It's it's a I, I, this whole NFL thing is a lot for him right now. So you're hoping yes. that you're hope you know in an ideal world, I think with all three of these guys, like we saw with Herbert, like we saw with Burrow, like we've seen with uh, uh, you know even Lamar Jackson a few years ago, you'd love to, you'd love for your rookie first round quarterback to come in and look like Herbert or Burrow. Or Lamar, right? And something like, like, give me something. That hasn't. I don't know if that's happened for uh, for for any one of them. So you're thinking, okay, it's fine because we have a whole off season where they're going to be in the building. They have all these reps on tape. They can go look at their own play rather than just like imagining. Oh, when I'm in this, oh, I'm going to go here to here to there. No, I saw what I did on tape, and I can make corrections. So you're, but I think with Fields, uh, sorry, with Wilson, that is super important. Like this offseason is super important because it's be like, okay, you get it. Okay, this was the bright lights. Okay, playing in the NFL field, all these defenses, it was too much for you. Um, let's get into the back into the lab uh, in this offseason yeah. and figure it out. Because if not, um, if not, it's not, it's not good. <laughs> it's not going to be. I mean, I'm willing. Yeah, right now, like. That's kind of where I'm at with it is like, all right, you get the mulligan year. I will 100% just give you the mulligan rookie year. This is a lot. I mean, it's it, the system that he's in is quarterback friendly, but it does take a lot of time for it to become quarterback friendly. You got to really understand it in order to make it happen. Um, but there is just something to be said when you're comparing like his struggles to a guy like Fields. And when you look at the data about like how much further down the field Fields is trying to throw the ball and he's still been just as accurate. You know, and he's not getting a lot of help in terms of yards after catch. He's always trying to push the ball past the sticks. Like, there is something to be said for that in terms of performance with the context of degree of difficulty. And for that reason, that's probably why I'm saying, or I feel so comfortable saying, I think that he might be leading the pack in terms of upside going into year two and year three um, of his rookie deal. Yeah, I think so too. And you're hoping, I think, with fields that like, and, and maybe he's not even playing on the team next year, but you're hoping that like they figure out a connection with Allen Robinson, like so, something there because you have this player who's obviously been a good receiver, and they just they they can't figure it out. And if he's not if he's not going to be a number one receiver, they don't have anyone else, right? Like Mooney's like whatever, and Cole Komet's a rookie and he's been okay, but like I don't know what else they they have there. Um, and obviously, you're hoping that you know they they already took their offensive tackle. You know, Tevin Jenkins looked whatever. I mean, he had some penalties, but he did a fine job, I thought, in his first start there um, on Monday night. So, like, there's something to work with there. Obviously, um, obviously, uh, Nagy being probably an issue. Would, the rumors that Ryan Day, uh, Ohio State's head coach, uh, might uh, might end up as the Bears' head coach. Your thoughts on that? That would be interesting. I mean, right now, I mean, this year, right, at least at this point in the year, this is probably the wrong time to ask me how I feel about a college coach going to the NFL, given how the last college <laughs> coach just did. Um, especially, you know, considering the fact that they'd both be from the same place. Um, but I do think an offense like that, like, it worked for him there. 
it worked for it worked for them when they were together um, at Ohio State. So I would be open to that. I just think that it doesn't necessarily have to be a Ryan Day type. It's just got to be somebody who has an actual identity as an offensive coach. That's what I want to see Fields Fields working in because I don't know. I still don't know what Matt Nagy is as a play caller because it's always all over the place. All right. Uh, the Two High Podcast is uh, presented by Western and Southern. Want the chance to win the ultimate game day feast, whether it's football success or financial savvy. Winning starts with asking us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every su- submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday uh, we'll cover your catering up to $2,500, coordinate your order from a restaurant near you, and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. Ladies and gentlemen, that's enough of us. Have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year from me and Deontay. And we'll see you guys. Yes.